All right, so we are talking about money. I wish I had one of those fountain things that they have in some of those churches that we could have money. If only, perhaps it's the next step, Shah. Are you listening, Carl? So this, brothers and sisters, this is our second sermon in our series on money, sex, and power. And last week, Carl was talking about money uh, in the terms of past and the present and the future. You know the story. You know the story. As God's image bearers, we were given responsibility over wealth beyond belief, the wealth that is it within this planet and is within us, wealth beyond belief. And you know the story as well as untold wealth and power. We were given sex, a gift to unite the man and the woman into one flesh, a gift to populate the, 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 populate the planet, a gift pointing towards the wedding feast of Christ and his bride, the church. You know the story. And you know how it went. We were created to represent God in the garden. We were created to walk with God in the garden. We were given authority to rule in the garden. Authority to name, authority to explore. And in time, authority to surf. Authority in the garden. Authority to to make children. Authority to rule and walk with God. And you know the story. You know how it went. You know what we chose. We know what the man chose. We know what the woman chose. What Adam and Eve chose. We try. We chose to go our own way. We chose to rebel. We chose to try and delight ourselves in distortions of the good. We tried to fill our hearts in foolish ways. And so we lost our inheritance. We lost our inheritance. And I was listening to all sorts of stuff this week. And one, one obscure song that I listened to kind of captured some of this. It's Van Morrison. Van Morrison from 2012. Yeah, Van Morrison. And he says, he says this. He sings a song in money, if in money we trust. And he's almost as bad a singer as I am. So... Uh, but I won't torture you. He says, when God is dead and money's not enough, and what do you trust when it's not enough? And then he sings, or kind of sings, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? If in money we trust and we bite the dust, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? You kind of get what he's saying. (laughs) So, money, a replacement for God, not a good thing. Not a good thing, and Jesus warns us about that. But it's also a very clever invention. And as Carl broadened the focus last week, as he broadened the focus, he's talking about wealth and saying, as we've heard, that wealth is um, God's creation. So, how does a follower of Jesus live with regard? Hey, bro, how does God, a follower of Jesus, live with regard to money and wealth? We're warned about the dangers of it, but we're also encouraged and and taught how to live with money. How does a follower of Jesus live with money? 
If we are a follower of Jesus, we're a part of his kingdom. To get into the kingdom, because what we're going to talk now is about Christian living, but I just want to make sure that we all are aware to get into the kingdom, to get into the kingdom, we need to trust in Jesus, trust in his death and his resurrection to make us right with God. So we've got to make that clear when we start talking about Christian living, that we don't get confused. To get in, to start living this life, we have to repent and put our trust in Jesus and his work on the cross. But now we are asking ourselves, how do we, as followers of Jesus, as his covenant people, how do we obey, live a life with money? You know, it's payday. It's it's payday. The the ping, the money turns up in my in my account, and yes, it's payday. And when you work for Luke Sheldrake, it's not very often, but it's big. <laughs> but it's big cash. He's a generous guy. Yes, Luke's paid me at last. <laughs> so what do I do? Do I give it all away? Mm, maybe not. How should I spend it? So how do God's covenant people use their wealth? How do God's covenant people use their wealth? Let's begin with Israel. Let's begin with people of the Mosaic covenant. So God is Israel's king and he rescues Israel. So the first and greatest commandment is this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your, all your soul and all your mind. And as we, we're going to be in Deuteronomy for a little bit. And just remember, this is the probably second to Jesus, the greatest preacher ever preaching Deuteronomy. And he's got, it's so long. It's, he must have preached up a storm. So imagine you're there with Israel being preached to by Moses as you're on the verge of going in to the promised land. And he's saying, hey, this is how we're going to live in the promised land. This is how God's kingdom people live in the promised land. And he says to them, God is the king. He's our king. We haven't got a human king. We've got God, and he is just. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. That's what used to be called aliens until... Online, people started saying there's aliens in the Bible. So they, tra- they now translate it sojourner or stranger, giving him food and clothing. So God is just even to the aliens. <laughs> so, keep, <laughs> so keep on preaching, Moses. Keep on preaching, Moses. And he says, or we can summarize it saying, God brings rest, shalom, and peace to his People in the land. That's what he wants. Shalom. What's that? Shalom is relational. It's peace between God and humanity. Peace in the land. So when you sit down for a kai with your whanau or with your community as we did last night uh, and ate food which has been harvested from the sea and from the bush and from the land and you experience God's loving presence, That is shalom. That's shalom. And God calls his covenant people to shalom, to justice, to righteousness, to peace, and to rest. Keep preaching, Moses. How are we going to live in this new land, Moses? He says things like, worship God. God's got to be first. Here's your savior. 
Don't steal, do not be a false witness, do not commit adultery, do not covet. Judge justly. Judges in the land, judge justly. Make sure you look after the weak in your family. Preach it, Moses. Make sure that some of the harvest is left behind for the poor together. Make sure that some of the offerings to the priests are set aside for the poor. And now this is a good one. Israel, Israel, you can set aside part of your tithe for a big party in the presence of the Lord and make sure you get the best food and the best drink, the best alcoholic drink it specifies, and celebrate before the face of the Lord. Really, Moses? Really? A party? Yes, yes. And do and make sure as well that you do not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him. You shall open your hand to your brother, your poor brother, and feed him, or and lend to him, I should say. Have we lost that one? That's okay. So in Israel, they'll be rich and they'll be poor, but you can see that God requires that citizens of his kingdom care for the poor and also set up escape hatches out of the poverty trap. Moses warned Israel that wealth can make us forgetful. So that's what he said. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you do not build and houses full of all good things that you do not fill and cisterns, that's wells that you do not dig, and vineyards and olive trees. Hey, this sounds like Gizzy. Olive trees that you do not plant. And when you eat and are filled, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do not let wealth make you forgetful. This is all great stuff, but how do we apply it into the 21st century? How do we apply it to the church when we've got a very different structure to our society? How do we apply this when faith in Jesus has gone viral? when faith in Jesus is stretched all around the the globe, when faith in Jesus, the kingdom is massively multicultural and multilingual and is not aligned with one nation. So how do we apply it? Interesting questions. And given the history of Aotearoa, there's even more interesting questions. So here's some questions I have. And I won't answer all of them this morning, so fear not, brothers and sisters. How do rich and poor function in Jesus' kingdom? What does the Bible say about giving? What does the Bible say about spending? How we spend our money? Is that important? Is there a biblical way to help the poor? Those are big questions, and I'm not, I've had a great time in the last couple of weeks thinking about them and talking to you, many of you, but I'm not going to answer them all. But before we go any further, let's d- define what it is to be poor. Or poverty. And this has, is from a book called Walking with the Poor. Poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meanings. It's pretty profound, eh? Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meanings. 
So what we're going to do for the rest of the sermon is just review some basics. There's so much here, we can't cover these in a short sermon. So principle one, particularly for new believers, principle one, earn your kai. So that's 2 Thessalonians verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Actually, I've got the wrong one there. We hear that some, of you among, some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So principle one, brothers and sisters... As far as we're able, each one of us needs to earn our keep. If there are new believers in our church who don't work, then I wonder, is it our responsibility as a community to train and encourage uh, them as they, to move into the workforce? And I see uh, out in the workforce, Duncan, who's, no, Duncan's not here, but Duncan's got an apprentice. Boom! He's building wealth. He's building wealth. He's encouraging growing a young man in the building trade. Boom. Isn't that great? So that's principle one. We earn our kai, if we can, as much as we're able. And then we care for our whanau and our family. First Timothy, Timothy 5, verses 3 to 8. Honour widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith, and is worse, worse than an unbeliever. We're children, I think most of us are, or even grandchildren. Part of our worship of the one true and living God is caring for our relatives. And Stu's sitting here saying, Amen, brother. <laughs> Boys, listen up. <laughs> okay, so children and grandchildren, part of our worship is caring for our relatives, for our grandmas and our granddads, for extended households. And in the ancient, and in the ancient world, that extended household could be as big as 50 or 70 people. So that's part of our worship responsibility as Christians, as believers. Many of you will be hearing this and say, yeah, of course, we get that. Um, that's right. But in our fragmented, individualized world, this passage can be quite hard to obey and implement. So maybe some of us are hearing a little wake-up call from the Spirit, a little reminder to care for our family. Because there's some quite strong words here. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith. That's pretty rugged. So those are strong words, but I also want to hear them as encouraging, comforting words, and this is why, because I've seen a lot of guilt within the Christian community, particularly from uh, men, from husbands in the community, in the church, because they get up and go every day to work, they work their butts off, they put food on the table, they try and teach their kids about Jesus and take them to work, uh, take them to church, I'm sorry. And they feel guilty because they don't get up and go to the prayer meeting or go on a missions trip or, or play in the band. They feel guilty because they're not doing enough for God. Brothers, brothers and sisters as well, but particularly brothers providing for our families, for our households, 
is part of serving the living God of Israel who cares for the poor and the helpless. And guess what your kids are going to be if you don't feed them and care for them and go to work and teach them about Jesus? They're going to be the ones in poverty. Brothers and sisters, serve God, witnesses to his goodness by providing for the household that God gives you. Make sure that they are fed both physically and spiritually. In your kai, feed the whanau, and work for peace. Work for shalom. Church, we're called to care for members who have no family to care for them. In the first century, this was usually widows. So in the New Testament, there are quite a lot, there's quite a lot of instructions about caring for widows. And there's a fascinating story, which I want to finish on, which is in Acts chapter 6. And here's Luke's summary of the story. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint, never, never, a complaint in the church? No way. A complaint from the Hellenists rose up against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Araru, in other words, a little church fight. How will the leaders of the Hebrews, who are all Hebrews, how are they going to respond? And so the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, pick out from among you seven men. And there's a little gap there where there's a bit more detail. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So there was a raru in the church between the locals, the Aramaic-speaking Jews, and the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. It's not fair. Our people are missing out. And the response is significant. The church appoints leaders from the group that was saying we are oppressed. Stephen, Philip, Procris, Nicanor, Timon, and Parmenas, they're all Greek speakers. They're Greek-speaking Jews. And Nicholas is another step removed. He's a, he's a Gentile, a non-Jew convert into Judaism and then a follower of Jesus. And these are the ones who have been given leadership of the oppressed group, or the group that felt they were being oppressed anyway. And this is important. The church didn't just do charity on the Hellenists. They appointed and recognized leaders from within the community that was feeling grieved. And they just didn't leave them waiting on tables. They prayed for them. They anointed them. And then... Philip and Stephen at least went out to do great things for the kingdom. Martyrdom in Stephen place, Stephen's case. Evangelism. Philip was an amazing evangelist. And it all started with a church that gave them power. Does that give us some hints and pointers about how we should do charity? Do we do charity to make ourselves feel good? Or do we aim to build relationships that work, that are just, that are for life, that are harmonious and enjoyable? So that's a big question. We could just go spend so much time thinking about those things. But I said we'd do a brief survey, and that's what we've done. And these are some simple principles. In your kai, feed your whanau, build, restore peace and shalom in the church. Our king, our king, Jesus is for peace, for shalom, isn't he? He's the prince of peace. 
and where to work for our kai, look after our households, and work for peace in our households and in the church. So those are some simple principles. And I wonder, I just wondered as I, I just wonder about dreaming a little. So I want to suggest that as a church, you dream a little. Dream a little about what, what could Wainui become? Because you are a rich church. I'm not just talking about financial wealth. You are so blessed. I've never seen a church so fully blessed with the gifts that God gives, or the gifts of the Spirit. I've never seen a church as wealthy in terms of that. This is an amazing church. I wonder what is next for you. What can you do with the amazing resources that God has blessed you with? So dream a little and pray a lot, and let's see what happens. This is the last Sunday that Sarah and I are here for a little while, or for a while, but I trust that I'll see you again, hopefully if you're doing South Island trips. If you surfers are coming down south, make sure you call in at Seddon, the mighty church of Awatere Valley Christian Joint Venture. <laughs> you will triple the numbers, <laughs> and there's good surf down the coast. So come on, no my haeremai. Um, so, but we look forward to seeing you guys again, God willing, and hearing what God is doing in and through you in Gizzy, maybe in the South Island, and maybe in the nations. So, bless you all.